0: Welcome to our space, where talking about the inspiring things with inspiring people is what inspires us. Waiting for you here are the infinite possibilities that creation, collaboration and connection have to offer. A universe where we see everything through roasting the spectacles that help us to keep our faith in the power of imagination alive and well. Welcome everyone to Metralla Rosa, today I have the huge pleasure to introduce Tavish Khan, he is a very proactive and passionate art critic, a writer, a speaker, he is also a regular contributor to Londonist and FAD magazine, he is also part of the uh, committee that judge which artists are going to participate in the other art fair, and he is also a trustee in Art Can, a non-profit organization. He is definitely an authority when it comes to talking about art exhibitions in museums and galleries in London. Thank you so much for Thank joining you for having us me. today. It's really a huge pleasure, and um, I cannot avoid the fact that I would like to know. Uh, how did you fell in love with art and when? When did it happen?
1: Yes, yeah, so I came to art very late in life, so up through my GCSEs and my A-levels and my degree I was very much a man of science. Okay. So I studied sciences, I went to university and did biomedical science um, dissecting dead bodies, which is interesting and a bit diverse um, and then after I graduated I didn't know what I wanted to do and even then I still hadn't fallen in love with art. I was very much like I had no interest in the arts. So really? I that yeah, surprised me. None at all. And then I went I fell into a energy in a career in the energy sector. And while I was doing that, I would obviously commute to work, as you do on the London Underground.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I'm familiar with it.
1: <laughs> and then as we were as I was travelling up London Underground, I would look at the adverts. So when you look at the adverts of the top of the carriage there would be things for like Tate or Royal Academy or um, National Portrait Gallery and I thought well do you know what I know nothing about art like none of my extended friends or my family are got much interest in art so I thought well why don't I go because this is something different and I was looking for something to do outside my career Um, because obviously it's a relatively nine-to-five office job. So I started going to exhibitions, um, starting with the major ones. And I started going more and more and then discovering some smaller galleries. And I don't remember which exhibition was the trigger, but I fell in love with art. And I thought, this is great. So I'll go see more and more. And obviously, as you start seeing more, you start discovering more exhibitions. So I thought, oh, this is great. So I kept going. And then at one point, a cousin of mine said, well, if you really love it, why don't you start a blog? And this was maybe 12 years ago when blogs were relatively new.
0: And a big thing. And a
1: big thing, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So I started my own blog. Um, I believe it still exists, though I haven't revisited it in 10 years or so. And then after writing for a bit, I thought, well, it's interesting and, you know, some people are reading it, not many. But how can I get a new audience? So I thought, well, let me find people who write about art. And at the time, Londonist was a very young organisation, largely volunteer led. All the writers were volunteers, the editors were paid. And so I thought, well, why don't I just pitch to them and see what they say? I mean, the worst thing they can say is not interested. And I said, so I pitched and they said, sure, let's try you out because we don't have any art writers. So I thought, okay. So I started writing. Uh, the irony being Londonist is a very professional organisation today. Yes. And if someone of my quality back then were to approach them now, they'd be like, no, we're only really looking for, you know, established writers. But I caught them at the right time.
0: Yes, it was perfect. You were there <laughs> in the and perfect no, moment. Perfect
1: timing. And then I kept um I kept writing for them and now, you know, eight years later I am well maybe longer than eight years, I am the visual arts editor. And obviously, I hope my writing's improved a lot. And now, occasionally, the um, my reviews, as in four-star, five-star Londonist, now appear on the tube posters that started my my journey. So whenever I see them, it's always a really nice feeling because it feels like my journeys come full circle.
0: So right now, in the moment that you find yourself uh, positioned. What would be, how do you see the future? Um, leaving apart the fact that the future seems to be very scary at the moment, mm. um, if you should start thinking about how, if this career had started with no much planification and mm. now I'm in a very good position, what do I want to achieve next? Can you Sure,
1: I the next step? I don't actually know because I've tried a few things and I do enjoy um, writing about art. I do enjoy talking about it and presenting on it. But it's interesting that because I have an unorthodox background, as in most art critics started as either history of art graduates mm-hmm. or journalism, um, I have a very different approach. Like, my writing, as anyone who reads it will see, is quite short and snappy. Mm-hmm. And I enjoy that.
0: And I'm pretentious, I would say. I hope so, I'm pretentious,
1: yes. (laughs) But a lot of journalists would say, a lot of journalism students, if you speak to them, prefer the long form of journalism rather than the short, snappy form. And I've tried my hand at long form and I don't actually enjoy it. I don't actually enjoy writing a thousand words about an exhibition. I'd much prefer writing 500 words and keeping it very, very easy to digest. And I think the reason I write like that is I want people who are like the old me, mm-hmm. as in the me who didn't know anything about art, to read my writing and discover art the same way I did.
0: It's a bit of an evangelization kind of work. Yes. Yeah, you want to You want to make the audience wider and bigger.
1: Probably. Yes, like, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love it when artists and people in the art world read my reviews and value my words and think they're great. That's mm-hmm. amazing. But, ultimately, I feel like there's a, there's a big audience writing for that community and a lot of the art magazines are very much focused on writing for the art literate crowd. But I feel like there's, there's very few that write for the sort of the general public and when they do, for example, the big newspapers, they tend to only write about the big blockbuster exhibitions. Mm-hmm. Now obviously I write about them too, but I also think I write about a lot of smaller emerging contemporary exhibitions which I feel like with the exception of a few places like Time Out don't really get much coverage at all so that's what I want to expose people to
0: And that's beautiful um, because if if you fall in love with art because of the therapeutic kind of vibrancy side of the kind of stimulation that you can mm. get from an art world work and when you are inside the art world it, it it should be like that. You should write just because you would like to share whatever mm. you thought or whatever you think is good to share with the others. And um, in this particular moment uh, when you see London London has become, somehow, a very commercial territory. Many artists don't see London anymore as a very avant-garde kind of scene, more commercial-oriented. What, what's your perspective from your point of view?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one because I completely understand that perspective. But then I also have this view that I don't like the fact that in, in art, often commercial, is is painted as a as dirty word. Bad, yeah, yeah. And I was thinking, like, don't get me wrong. I wouldn't say overly commercial. Of course, you can be too commercial, and I think there are some downsides to that. But it's that sort of feeling that when you speak to art students, like at university, when they ask questions, like, oh, well, how do I make money from art? Often they get shot down by their tutors, and like, art's not about money. There's money doesn't factor into art.
0: Warhol would have said that he he, he didn't agree.
1: He wouldn't have agreed. agreed. No, he wouldn't have agreed at all. Um, But then I think the other thing that worries me about that is don't get me wrong. I understand this sense that art should be about purism. Like you're creating art because you love it, not because you want it to sell. Mm -hmm. And I completely understand that. But the problem is if you start saying art has this purity, don't worry about money, just focus on making beautiful art or conceptual art or amazing art. The downside that's going to happen is what you'll end up with is a world full of people who don't need to make money from art. So in a sense, just people who are children of very rich people mm-hmm. or spouses of very rich people. Mm-hmm. So then you'll end up with this sort of very class divide in art, where which you see already. Where mm-hmm. You see a lot of people and you see it in a lot of the... What we consider talent-based industries like acting and music. Now, and art, well, don't get me wrong, there are plenty of people who aren't from wealthy backgrounds, but there are a disproportionately high amount of people from wealthy backgrounds in a lot of industries. And I'm seeing that in art as well, because mm. if you have 10 years to hone your practice and you never have to worry about making money, then you can be singularly focused on just making... The art that feels pure to you and not worry about paying bills.
0: And it can actually become very good, or or it can talk with a very specific uh, group of people, but it doesn't reflect the general art student. No. Uh, The fact that you arrive to art being an adult, Mm. do you think it helped to appreciate the, um, let's say again, the therapeutic? Side of it in a in a with a different more mature perspective. What what was interesting about finding yourself in galleries and exhibitions and being able to talk about that? What why that was stimulating?
1: I think it's one of those things that with with art it has this ability to just open your mind in a way that. You don't know what you don't know, as it were. Mm-hmm. So I was working an office job, and I actually, I still have, just to be clear, a, a day what job. That, in what
0: what kind of job? Uh,
1: energy policy is oh, what I work wow. in. So that's my 9-to-5 that's my <laughs> office job. Relatively flexible in that they let me work from home and wherever my laptop is. Uh, but I do that job, and I actually really enjoyed it when I started out in my career. And people always say, oh, you would have discovered art anyhow. And I don't think that's true. I think it just there was a series of nice circumstances, happy circumstances that led me to where I am today. And I can honestly believe that if I hadn't discovered art, or if I pitched at Londonist and they said, no, we're not interested, then I may have ended up just being very career focused in my other part of my life and not noticed that I'm missing something. Mm. So there there is that sense that, you know, there is this beauty of, It just so happened that way and it worked out. As with most things in life, it does happen like that. Uh, But I do think there is something um, wonderful about it in that sense. And also what your second part of your question, which was how about discovering as an adult? Mm -hmm. Uh, So (laughs) discovering an adult, one thing we touched on in that commercial discussion, which was that now I see it with these kind of business head on from my day job, as it were that I see it from a business lens of, you know, how, how art functions and how it makes money and that whole sort of divide of, I feel like I've still got one foot outside the art world and one foot inside mm-hmm. so I can see it from both sides, you know, I mean, a perfect example I give is um, someone like Damien Hirst. So Damien Hirst is generally quite loathed within the art world for being all about making money and yes, being yes. commercial. And it's funny, if you talk to people in the business world, they th- all think he's a genius. Yeah,
0: of course.
1: Because he used because his... Because he is. Yeah, because he did. He, used, he, is. he realized how he could make loads of money out of art. And, and
0: selling for a huge amount of money to every country. And yeah, yeah, that, that, that for anyone with art aspirations seems genius, because mm. it's one of the more difficult things to achieve
1: yes yeah and i think that's the that's the difficulty when you look at artists you um but then also you know with that business lens on it's really funny like if i'm talking to friends of mine who work in the in any sort of business sector where they aren't doing something that they 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 probably enjoy their job but they're not doing the thing they love right you can make a joke about the fact that you know because the of the situation the economy that by the time we're ready for retirement, the retirement age will be like 85. And they will understand and they will laugh. But if you say to artists, like, retirement age will 85, they go, why would I ever retire? Like, this yeah. is the thing that I love. I'd never stop doing it. Yeah, And that sort of viewpoint in life is something I've never really experienced before. before. It's very much like, oh, really, there are people who love their job so much they would do it all the time for the rest of their life they could.
0: And there's also somehow a sense of community in mm. the art world that I guess you are now experiencing because the more you put yourself out there and the more mm. you work to create connections between galleries, museums and general public, the more also people in this community discovers you and invite you to th- be part of different yes. kind of things how does it make you feel because i guess that's also one of the good sides of yeah
1: i think it is is it generally of course like with any community there are some bad actors in there but generally it's a very warm welcoming community people are happy to share and talk to each other and obviously if you've been to a gallery opening you see that everyone's generally very sociable there's
0: and wine. which,
1: there's helps. Wine, which <laughs> That does help. Yeah, so it's it's very relaxed, um, but it's also very it's also very strange that you know you come, me coming at it from an outsider perspective. There are some things that you just think, oh, that's strange. Like for example, until I got invited to them, I didn't realise why a lot of private views, as they're called, the opening nights, are mm-hmm. from. Six to eight PM. I always thought that was for a very like, especially in Mayfair. I was like, that's a very early cut. Someone to have another job. Yes, and I thought oh, that's surprising. And then, I, then I realised only once I'd been in the world for a while that that's because at eight PM, all the the very important people go to the after opening dinner, which is where the real deals are done with the mm. artists and the big collectors and all the the VIPs now. And obviously, I get invited to a few of those as well. And it's also that whole. I want to be this kind of, not necessarily an outsider, but I like to think that I'm not coloured by having a background in art. I'm from outside the art world. And then you also have to be very careful of how you get swayed because the art world is a very small world and everyone talks to each other.
0: Everyone knows, everyone knows everyone. each
1: everyone. So you also worry that by being in there you will go native, as it were, and then start to think like everyone else. Well, when one of my hopefully one of my advantages as i see it is that i'm not like everyone else yeah, I'm you don't different.
0: have uh, the necessity of making anyone happy let's no. say no and um it's good that you mentioned that because one of the one of the difficult parts of writing about art or writing about uh, openings and exhibitions and the work of other artists is that when you want to be really critical, somehow you feel like, oh my God, if you don't have anything good to say, just don't say anything. And we end up always being quite complacent and talking yes. good about everything, which is also maybe... Seen as a lack of uh, a commitment. How, how, uh, yeah. how do you relate with that necessity of being objective, being clear, being transparent, being mm. honest? Yeah. but at the same time, there's no need to talk bad about anyone, anyone if, if there's really not. I no. don't know if I made myself yeah clear, I, th- but... I
1: do understand that. I think I think the tricky part would be so I was I once compared it to film. So if you're a film critic, and there's a film, and you don't think it's very good, and you write a review saying that it's not very mm. good, like a one or a two star review, and you say that, I don't know, Robert De Niro's acting was terrible, right? The film world is a bit larger, so the chances of you then running into Robert De Niro the next week
0: <laughs> are quite slim, in
1: <laughs> Well, in the art world, if you write something bad about someone, you probably will run into them, because at some point, you That's know, because it's so small, especially like London's art scene. Um, it's so small that that will happen but at the same time you have to it's difficult but you have to remind yourself well I have to remind myself is that you know ultimately I'm providing a service to my audience and they need to know what to what what to expect what to expect yeah Mm -hmm. and um, it's tricky because I've always said this before that I will not write that many negative reviews and that's not because I don't see shows that I don't like but it's you have to think I think I estimate that every year I see about a thousand exhibitions, Mm. which is loads Um, and I can't possibly write about all of them. So when I write, I have to weigh things up against two scales. One is um, how much much did I enjoy this exhibition and how much do I think my audience are going to enjoy it. So when I'm doing that, it makes sense that if there's a small, say, student exhibition Mm. I didn't enjoy there is no point me telling an audience here's a show that you've never heard of. Don't go to it. It's it's just a waste of column inches. So when I do write negative reviews, it's only of the big exhibitions that That you've probably heard of anyway. It's like a Tate Modern or Royal Academy because their advertising budget is so huge. Even if I don't write about it, you'll hear about it. Yeah. So that
0: makes sense because if, if it's uh, an artist emerging trying to do, Something interesting, good, you know that uh, uh, behind that thing you saw there's a lot of effort, even mm-hmm. if they didn't really achieve what you think they should have. Yeah, and it, it breaks your heart to try to, to put out their information that is going to be con- not good for them.
1: No, and I bought,
0: but big exhibitions, yeah, sometimes they they. It's fair. It's yeah. it's only fair to say, look, I I, I pay twenty pounds or I pay fifteen pounds or thirteen yeah. pounds, whatever the price is, because in London it goes, it's variable. But it didn't really mm-hmm. got where I should
1: I I, I yeah. should have gone. And I think there is a lot of sort of circular thinking in that. So there's a there's a anecdote that I say about exhibitions where if you go to see a major exhibition, one of the ones you have to pay 15, 20 pounds to see, and and it's got five star reviews across the board, like everyone's giving it five stars. And then you go and you think, this isn't actually that good. Why did it get five stars from everyone? Mm -hmm. I always joke that it's because often when an exhibition is put together, um, a big institution will assign a curator to put it together. And it will often be a curator who studied um, history of art at the Courtauld Institute um, who will then hand it over to a PR person who also studied history of art at the Courtauld Institute who then pitches it to a bunch of journalists who all studied history of art at the Courtauld. And then you've got no wonder they all like it, because they're all the same mould They are of all person.
0: protecting their own system, and they're all elite Yeah, somehow. but I,
1: I don't think they're always protecting on purpose. I think they've just all been educated and grown up okay. in the same way, so they okay. all think the same. So of course they're going to like the same things, because they're from the same background. So that's why I often disagree with all the other critics, because I don't have that background. That doesn't make me any more right than them.
0: Or wrong, yeah. Or but wrong. No, it no, just no.
1: means that I am at least offering the contrary view that you're not getting for anyone else.
0: An outsider perspective. The yes. perspective of someone that doesn't have... A, I, I don't own you anything, so no. I just can be honest.
1: Yeah.
0: And recently in London, um, let's say this year, have you come across exhibitions that you would really, really recommend?
1: come across so many that I recommend. I know, That's I know. Hard. How many
0: exhibitions do you, do you see awake?
1: Well, so um, I I estimated one year that I mentioned earlier that I'd see a thousand
0: mm. exhibitions a
1: year. Okay. So I actually kept a tally one year. I'm not going to do it again because it was too much hard work. But in the year of 2019, okay. I kept a count and I saw 1,169.
0: Wow how many in one day the so, maximum
1: so that would be a mixture of small and large exhibitions as well so it depends what i'm doing so every saturday i do a full day of art okay. like 10 or 6. on
0: your
1: own uh, t- i'm happy for others to join me but i will do it anyway um so if i'm doing say an area like mayfair where it's densely packed with galleries then i may see something like 20 to 25 a day but if i'm doing somewhere like south london which is a bit more spread out then it will be less Mm. Obviously.
0: Wow, that's a huge amount! It just in one day.
1: I think you get used to it. I think people have said to me that you might get Don't you
0: mix up the names after <laughs> and have a big confusion? Did I saw this here or was it there? Or was it the well, artist? Are you good at keeping your information clear? <laughs> sometimes. I mean, I used to be
1: rubbish at names, okay. but decent with faces. Now I'm rubbish at both. So okay. Oh my
0: gosh. <laughs> so. I thought you were gonna say no, now I'm much better.
1: No, I'm not awful at everything now. Because the thing is you especially in the art world, you see people like briefly at a private view opening and they'll say hello to you, they'll introduce themselves. And then you won't see them for six months. And that was a five minute interaction and you've got a break of six months in between where you've met hundreds of people. Yeah remembering people so hard, um, it is,
0: it is. I, I don't forget faces but I can be very confused with names sometimes
1: mm.
0: and uh, but but in general I'm not that bad okay so. but good. but I think just to, to see so many exhibitions in a day is difficult because I every time I go to an exhibition I really want to get all I can out of it uh, not just the information but also try to connect really with mm. the art I have in front of me. I have seen a lot of people that they just pass by the art. Yeah. And, and I don't know, it doesn't well, work like photo. that for me. I do take photos. <laughs> no, but some don't even engage, <laughs> even they just take a gone. photo
1: and they run. Yeah,
0: But um, but
1: on that point, I think it's interesting though, because people say that, well, how can you really digest 20 expressions exactly. a day because you're not seeing them? And I think what it is, I've just got very used to. Once I walk in and give it a little bit of time, like a couple of minutes, obviously at least, I can quickly make a judgment call. This is not going to work for me. Mm. So then I can I can clear my brain of it and be like, no, nope, it's not going to work. It's done. And I move on to the next one. Now that may seem very harsh, but it's a requirement when there's so many exhibitions. Yeah, I think and it's...
0: also when you are an expert in something, you develop that kind of uh, hope, yeah, immediate. Yeah, I mean, uh, certainty that i'm in the wrong place I but i think go. it's
1: important for artists as well to see that because i remember i've been on judging panels with a few artists where we've actually judged in a room and i think it has been really eye-opening for those artists were how long is spent on judging because obviously an artist putting application together they spend some time getting the pictures and the words and all mm. together and making sure it looks as professional and as perfect as possible. Then but and then, then, but uh, when you're going through hundreds in one sitting, you're not going to give that, that due attention. It is very like hit and miss, very quick.
0: It is cruel. Somehow. And it's cruel,
1: yeah. And I'm just saying with emails. I remember somebody once mentioned that um, an inbox of a major newspaper, I won't mention them on camera, uh, they have an art at address, email address, Um, And apparently it gets 4,000 emails a day. (sighs) And I'm thinking there is no way somebody is looking at every one of those emails. If anything, if they're not being mass deleted, there's maybe some poor intern who's just quickly going through it. So let's face it, when these things come in, there's so much information. I mean, I don't get so many emails, but I have something that I, I call it the three second rule. (laughs) <laughs> which is when I get an email about an exhibition, unless it's from someone I know, which is different. But if it's a bl- blind email to me saying, I've got this exhibition for your consideration. I open it, I open every email I get, and I give it three seconds to make an impression. Mm. If it makes an impression, then I'll I'll make a note of it, maybe to visit it at a later date when it opens, or maybe to write about it. But. If it doesn't then it's deleted
0: what do you think can make a good impression after such a huge experience (laughs) i think i'll be i'm surprised by the first wars
1: yeah well Um... i'm surprised by how many things where what i want to do is digest it quickly and how much how many things work against that so for example how many visual artists the clue is in the word visual do not have an image in the email they send me or in the press release, there's no it's just words, Okay. so that doesn't help. And also, sometimes I'm reading a press release and I get halfway down it and I know what inspired the artist, I know where they got their ideas from, but I have literally no idea what it is. Like, are you a photographer? Are uh-huh. you a painter? Are you a sculptor? I don't Lack know. Lack of clarity, <laughs> yeah. would
0: you say, that doesn't
1: help? Yeah, it doesn't help and to be honest, um, I know people don't like this often, but. In an email, bullet points go a long way. You know, just key bullet points. This is what's happening. This is the exhibition. These are the dates. This is who the artist is. This is where it is. So
0: even you would recommend to do highlights, like, as simple as that. Just keep
1: the key things, yeah. And then there can be more detail below it. If somebody's interested, they can read more, of course. Or you can give links to places where there's lots of text about the work. If that's what you're trying to share. But lead with something very simple to engage with you know the whole uh, concept of the elevator pitch you know if you're stuck in the lift with someone for 60 seconds how would you pitch yourself that's how you've got to think about it
0: okay uh, I think it's interesting this <laughs> conversation about the t- three seconds rule six and mm. sec- six three three seconds oh second oh yeah. and did you see museums and galleries as oases, spaces where you can go and somehow disconnect with mm. the chaos of the city and connect immediately with the uh, mental and creative stimulation?
1: I do, I, I mean, obviously I love exhibitions and they're wonderful and a lot of our big galleries are free, which is amazing. And exhibitions are, there are brilliant exhibitions in London every year, uh, but-
0: Can you remember one in particular from the last year? Yeah, so if I was
1: thinking very recently, I mean, Um, It's soon to close, I believe at the time of recording, but like the Picasso and Paper one at Royal Academy was fantastic. There's one at Hayward. Even
0: better than the one at the Tate.
1: Which one was the one at Tate? Uh,
0: Picasso, the last years of his career. Oh, that one year. It was huge.
1: Yeah, I think they're both on a similar level. I really enjoyed both and it's funny because I went there and I thought, I know Picasso. I've seen so much of his work, how much more can you show me? And yet, it's still very good. And if you think of a themed show, I like the Trees one at Hayward Gallery, which is fantastic. Yes,
0: I want to go to that one. Yes, well,
1: hopefully it'll still be open when the Hayward Gallery reopens. Yes,
0: I hope so, because that one uh, seems to be very refreshing in that sense of put yourself in a location that will somehow give you mm. a little bit of peace, a little bit of... I found exhibitions very calm, just because people don't talk too loud mm. and the, the, the whole situation, the protocol of people inside of a gallery yes. seems to immediately bring me, at, at least it happened to me, to spaces of where you can be slow Yes, and you can be calm and you can just enjoy uh, your own rhythm if you need it.
1: Yeah, I think the difficulty with that well, That's is not that
0: easy on the tube. It's not, <laughs> not easy
1: on the tube, no. But even in galleries, like, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a very positive thing that art is as popular, as far as I can tell, as it's ever been in London. Yes. Uh, the downside of that is that if you go to a very popular exhibition like that Picasso one, I went as press before it opened to the public. So I get a privileged view of seeing Knock it quieter. You. But if you go on a weekend, my God, it's just absolutely heaving. And it's and it's actually quite hard to enjoy it. And it's tricky because I don't know if there's a solution to that. Because I remember there was a really interesting Guardian piece about this is ruining the experience for everyone.
0: Yes, somehow. But, like,
1: but I don't know what the solution is. Like you don't want art to be less popular. No, no. And no. you don't want to restrict people and then... Some people will never see it because there's no opportunity to. If you make it too expensive, less people, fewer people will see it. You don't want that either. So I don't know if there is an easy solution. I think
0: I think it's wonderful to see these yeah, exhibitions full of people, even if somehow, from a selfish point of view, it's a little bit uncomfortable because you have to queue to get in front of the little drawing or the. Yeah. And you want to? You want to see it from a very close perspective because sometimes it's where you can see in the flesh what really opens your understanding yeah. uh, to to see the same painting or drawing in a book is never the same it no. is not the same and and that's one thing you only realize when you are there and yeah. you like wow this looks yeah. amazing yeah. i
1: think museums are doing some interesting <laughs> things like i've seen things where um they are doing sort of cheaper pricing midweek, or more expensive pricing in the first and last weeks, because mm. it's always busier at the beginning and the end. No, exactly. Pe- less people, fewer people visit in the middle for some reason. Let's so. face it. Yeah.
0: Everyone goes the last week, <laughs> including, me, including <laughs> me,
1: But then the commercial galleries are never that busy, so that's always quite nice. The sort of the the, the and big it's always institutions. Free, right? And that's the beauty, isn't it? Yeah, there's this is. There's this interesting model. So like I may talk about things that I don't like in the art world, but one of the things I do love is the fact that there's this general agreement that commercial galleries, anyone can walk in and they have opening times. And most of them are open at reasonable times. So that's wonderful that you yes. can, you can just go and look around and you don't have to be interested in buying. You don't have to be a collector or a critic or an artist. You can just walk in, have a look around, read about the artist and then leave. Um, which is a lovely, lovely idea. And I do worry that as the traditional gallery spaces, we're getting fewer and fewer of those in London because it's so expensive. I do worry whether that will stop happening. Um, Do you
0: think it's a good idea to start um, uh, creating or, or, yes, offering to the public virtual visits? That's another thing. I, I do believe that art still has that you still have to go to the gallery. Yeah, Uh,
1: I think so. And I think, I mean, there are a few things that are off-putting about galleries. So like the commercial galleries are often quite intimidating. You often have to like ring a bell um, and it's like a closed door. So you don't know whether it's open or not. Um, Also, you know, a lot of opening nights are called private views, but there's no guest list. So you can just go. Then why is it private? Why do you got the name private? All it does is it scares off people who aren't familiar with art. So there are a lot of things, you know, the, the classic, you know, you walk into a gallery and somebody at a desk kind of looks at you and then looks back down at the computer. not very welcoming, no, that happens it can be
0: intimidating. It can
1: be, yeah. So that's, that's the downside. But um, I do enjoy, I've, I like some things, like I've seen a few galleries where really simple things, like it's winter, so obviously the door is closed. But there's just an open sign in the door and I think that's quite nice. Yeah. Because that lets me know that I can push the door open and go in.
0: But you are in favour of um, galleries and, and exhibitions and museums uh, becoming more and more virtual, that offering virtual visits.
1: Yeah, I think so, because one is you can't visit all of them, obviously, even if you have um, a lot of time. Uh, two is obviously there might be exhibitions in other countries. Mm. So a lot of like, um, there is a big issue about the carbon footprint of the art world, where the art world jets from art fair to art fair across yeah. the world. Um, so that's not great for everyone and obviously you have to remember there are some people due to various access issues who cannot travel to galleries so increasing that helps and I've seen quite a few like the galleries now website offers virtual reality views of exhibitions you can well, you don't have to put on a virtual reality headset. You can just look on your phone or you can go on your desktop. On your desktop. But you can see it all. And that's that's a wonderful experience if, for those is who it, can't go. Is
0: it? I haven't... I, I, I refuse mean, to, to I would, go there. And I would always say you can too,
1: go, do yeah. go but, but if you can't. if you can't,
0: have to for yeah. work or something yeah work related I would do it but uh, just because of my own pleasure I prefer to wait Yeah, <laughs> till the moment I if have the time. If you can car. then yes
1: you should.
0: And um, In London it's not a secret for anyone that there are many affairs mm. some of them have you as a judge I have judged on a few, yeah. Exactly, like for example, recently the other art fair, which
1: didn't go which, ahead, obviously exactly postponed because of the COVID
0: nineteen. How is that experience first and second? Would you describe how did you consider uh, what is different from each one of the fairs? Because maybe some people needs a little bit of guidance. Uh, why the other art fair is different from the affordable fair or... there are many
1: Yeah, there are many. I suppose the other art fair is one of probably three or four that is specifically for artists only. Well, the affordable art fair is galleries, so mm. only galleries can apply for the affordable, <clears throat> artists can apply for the other art fair. Um, but I, I quite like it because it feels like, I know we talked about the word commercial, but it feels like the very commercial Uh, beginnings of an artist so you are there as an artist representing yourself and it's you who has to do all the selling and it just feels a bit more it feels a bit more friendly because you're talking to the actual artist not a gallery representing them I like that and also in terms of judging yeah it's interesting I've said this to a few people on judging panels it's there is a benefit of artists who apply for a lot of a lot of things like fairs and prizes of course it costs money, so obviously only apply if you can afford it, but if an artist is applying to lots of different things, it makes a big difference where, like that judging panel I mentioned when we were all in a room. Mm.
0: If you know who he's judging.
1: Well, if I know who the artist is. So like the artist pops up and it's just a JPEG Okay. of their work, a picture of their work. But I can tell all the other judges, oh, I know this guy. Okay. This is what his work is about. This is how he does well, it. Well,
0: but you know, there are there are prices that that's why you have to apply with a pseudonym. Oh, a
1: pseudonym, because yeah. How do you say it? Pseudonym. Pseudonym. Yeah. yeah. But even then, I don't think it's possible because like, you know, because they have Because
0: the, if not...
1: If, but if your work you is... You have
0: a preconception.
1: But if your work is really recognisable, does a pseudonym work?
0: Yeah, not in the art world.
1: Yeah. Like I remember, I remember if someone showed me those secret postcard sales where they sell the postcard and obviously it's secret until you buy it to find out who actually made it. Not for you. But it's like a lot of the time, you can look at it and go, well that's definitely a Bob and Roberta Smith, that's definitely Tracy Emin, you can recognize them so.
0: Yeah. So it's good for you to know the artist.
1: Well, I mean, I. I would see some benefits of applying under a pseudonym, I do, because that removes all judgement. But the thing is, I think artists will still get recognised anyway.
0: Especially if they have a very strong identity, yeah. visual identity. Of, uh, and
1: also, like these days, a lot of artists are on Instagram, as mm, everyone is. Exactly. And one of the things that helps the judging process is if you see one work, I'm like, I'm interested to know what the rest of their practice looks like. Mm. If there's a link to their Instagram profile, you can have a look and go, oh, okay, okay I think this yeah. artist should go in the fair, or no, I don't. And the thing is, if you applied under a pseudonym, there'd be no way to do that.
0: <laughs> and, and the other members of the panel, mm. are they, if they maybe have a less um, interconnected practice? Because you are in Instagram, you do some videos on mm. YouTube, you put yourself out there a lot, and then you write for uh, online magazines like Londonist yeah. and Fad If they are a little bit less like that, do you think they are more objective when they judge?
1: Yeah, I do. I don't know. I think there'll be. And also, obviously, you can't allow you have to allow for preferential taste. You know, everyone's got a different taste in artists. So some people won't. Um, so I remember there was a, there was a prize. Now, I'm not going to say which prize or who won. For the obvious reason okay. I'm about, I'm, <laughs> for what I'm about to say was that I was talking to one of the other judges. Now, all of us judges were judging in isolation. We weren't judging in the same room. We judged okay. online oh, that, for this prize.
0: That's a beer.
1: Actually, most prizes is judged okay. online by yourself. You okay. don't actually talk to each other. You don't talk with anyone. But this, this other judge is a friend of mine and a fellow art critic. So I was messaging her, obviously, on WhatsApp to say, you know, what do you think <laughs> of it? And so I did my judging without talking to her. And then she did her judging. And I was like, oh, so what did you think of the artist? So it was all done now. So we couldn't collaborate in any way. She went, oh, I really didn't like this artist. And I, I looked, I spoke, I said to her, like, you just watch, he's going to win. And he did win. <laughs> and the reason I know that is because I know... What the gallery what the prize's taste was okay so I knew exactly the kind of artist they were looking for, and I knew what the other judges tastes were, and I knew despite her not liking it, I knew everyone else would like it, so that's why I said I know that person's gonna win because you can just tell when what they're looking for often, and it's and obviously that's from years of experience, but it's often I can tell what prize works for what kind of artist.
0: And in the case of the other art fair, they don't put you any... They really give you total freedom
1: to judge. And it is judged in isolation as well. Like, you all do it by yourself. Um, And then, obviously, behind the scenes, I don't see. But I imagine what they do is see, this artist was picked by four of the judges, therefore they're in. This artist was only picked by one, therefore they didn't make it. I don't know how that works, but I assume it's something along those lines. But it's an interesting one because I know you mentioned sometimes it's nice to all be in the room, but the, the difficulty of all being but, in a room hmm. is sometimes the strongest personality will decide who wins yeah. because they manage to yeah. convince everyone else. Exactly
0: to to be a leader and then yeah. convince everyone of their well, opinion. Well, if it's in isolation, it's not fair. It's an, exactly, uh, or maybe you feel also sometimes. Uh, pressure by the group and then you have your own point of view and you know it's a little bit polemic or a little bit inadequate but you it is your point of view yeah on in solitude you just do whatever you want to do but when others are there I mean
1: I I mean my most interesting judging experience was um, I was one of the judges for the Amnesty UK photojournalism award Um, So this was about reporting on big news stories, Mm -hmm. this was a few years ago so I was talking about things like the Ebola outbreak and what was happening in Afghanistan and big, big news stories and everyone else on the panel was either a journalist or a photographer, as in a commercial photographer, not an art photographer and I was the one art critic. And it was funny, all the things that they didn't like, I was the one who liked it, because I liked the composition. Okay. Because it was interesting composition, and they were all like, but there's no narrative, because they were looking for narrative. Yes,
0: they were looking for the story, because they were looking at it as journalists, and photojournalists. So
1: I do offer a different viewpoint for that. I mean, ultimately, the ones I liked didn't win, because the criteria was, there must be a journalism aspect to the work, but it did mean that I could appreciate things and share that with from everyone. from an else. artistic point of yeah. view. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> That's very interesting. And um, these all these art events that have been postpone, have been postponed in London are gonna happen. Do yes. you know do you have idea of how is how is that going to work?
1: I don't know. I think it's a very tricky time for the art world because obviously with the whole COVID nineteen thing, everything's been postponed or something, a few things have been cancelled. So some people have said, we're just not doing the 2020 version, we'll do the 2021. But for the ones that are postponed, it's really hard because you don't know when this is gonna clear up. So you're like, well, Is it going to happen soon? Is it going to happen in three? Is three months time good enough? Is it going to happen? Yeah. And then, and then also for the museum exhibitions, obviously everyone wants us to extend them because people have missed the opportunity to see them.
0: I'm one of those that there are so many exhibitions that I would like to see and I'm panicking that maybe there's no time.
1: Well, I think it's not just the fact that they want to, I think in a perfect world, every exhibition would be extended to allow for this but we have to remember a lot of the works are on loan and the loan agreement ends by a certain date. And
0: they have a schedule, they yeah. have to keep going.
1: Exactly, and and sometimes the exhibition is traveling to another museum afterwards, so they've, yeah, they they've got a schedule as well that we disrupted.
0: Previous commitments and...
1: Yeah, so it's very difficult to know whether everything will work out and yeah, we. We'll, it's it's going to be a very strange year. We we won't know what happens. I think.
0: And now that I know that you have this uh, strong business kind of mindset in, and you can see things from that point of view, which is really interesting. Uh, being an art critic, how is your work with um, art art can, which is to help artists to hmm. try to find a place in the market market
1: yeah well it's not just not just in the market i think like um one of the things we've discussed is it's very hard being an artist today you know there's a you there might are think many. <laughs> Too yeah there, many, well, many. well there are many artists that is one issue so there's a lot of <clears throat> supply um to compete for the demand um there's also the issue that uh, making money as artists is quite hard because London is a very expensive city to live in. Actually, most of the world is very expensive to live in now. Mm. So the question is, how do you get exposure? Because most of the galleries have got a full roster of artists and maybe not looking for new artists. So if you're starting out, it's very hard to get any traction. So the whole idea of Art Can was that <clears throat> artists can club together as a collective. And then they can put on exhibitions. And then if you are sharing the cost of the exhibitions, then hopefully it's a very small cost per artist. Um, And also they can work together. So for example, let's say the collective has, well, the collective does have a website. Well, if you've got 100 artists, there's bound to be someone whose talent is in web design. You know, if you're... Or there's someone whose talent is in PR or marketing or between yourselves, there must be different things we can teach each other and also there's that sort of psychological well-being effect of all the artists being together helping okay. each other out.
0: So is it open to everyone to join? Anyone so um, to join? there
1: are application rounds um, that happen throughout the year that are just on the Artcan website or on social media and when artists do apply there's a committee made up of artists who select who will join Artcan. So, okay. so it's constantly growing it's got members across the world and even just having say members in Vienna is an added bonus because let's say a gallery space is available in Vienna they can let all the other members know and then maybe some of these artists who are normally UK based can show in Vienna exactly. or America or Sweden or somewhere.
0: It's like a web of Yeah
1: and it always helps that you know this whole we all work together to lift it up so I'm on the board of trustees whose job is to kind of help guide the company and i think kate enters who runs it and founded it has done this wonderful job of setting it up yes it's a collective but she set it up like a business with a board of trustees with financial records and what that helps is it gives us all a strategy and a plan to walk to work towards so just helping and run it in a more professional business like business like manner okay just made sure it's a more effective organization and it's supporting artists as well as it can
0: how do you see the future of painting because with all these mixed media Mm. uh, performing arts are becoming Mm. huge with time every time more uh, every time more and more Uh, but seems like painting are still the big the more established form of art visual art yes and do you think it's going to be like that in the future how do you see the future of painting
1: it's a tricky one because I know there's this whole wave I think it might be in the 90s when people were saying painting is dead you know because mm. we're now moving all conceptual work and it's changing but the truth be told it's still doing well and ultimately art is like it or not driven by the marketplace mm. and if you went to freeze 2019 uh, freeze art fair in London you would have seen it was very painting heavy mm-hmm. and that was because the economy is not great and they know that painting sells well because ultimately what people want is something they can hang on the wall yeah. because that's the easiest thing to sell and performance art is doing really well <coughs> excuse me and growing but it's not an easy thing to sell
0: no sometimes you need <laughs> a sp- a lot of space for example Ooh. for tri- three-dimensional objects you need space Yes. but also if it's an installation that requires a corner or a specific kind of display mm. it, it makes things even harder uh, if someone is just buying to put an object, a beautiful or, or, or an interesting art piece in mm. their home or their spaces
1: Yeah, because let's face it I mean obviously museums are different and mega rich collectors are different who've probably got warehouses full of art but for the average person they still want something on a wall right yeah you know if you put a sculpture somewhere it's gonna get in the way at some point probably
0: (laughs) do you collect art are you interested I do
1: yeah so I probably have I don't know how many things like a in my two-bedroom flat, so it's not a very large flat, I have about 120... Oh, really? ...artworks, yeah. Some crazy. are very small. Some are very, very small. And now I'm getting smaller and smaller because I'm running of wall space. Okay. So it's like full salon hang, like, everywhere. I'm, I'm going to keep going until I run out of space.
0: So now the the lack of space is um, dictating what you have to choose or buy.
1: Yes. But then also, I you know, it's not... It can be a very expensive hobby, but I think art does not have to be an expensive hobby. I mean, I've got a rule that I've never spent over a thousand pounds on an artwork, but to be honest, I've not even come close. I think the most I've ever spent on an artwork is 650, and then the average I spend on an artwork is probably down in the kind of like the 200. Hundred fifty pound mark.
0: Do you see it as an investment, or do you? Or it's just because of your self. You are I always, feel, self like, I always <laughs> feel like I,
1: I love it because art makes my place. I mean, obviously, I've got really boring magnolia coloured walls. So uh, art makes the place more beautiful, and I love it, and it's inspiring. But in terms of investment, I always feel like if it becomes worth more, great. But if right. it doesn't, I don't care. Ultimately, and let's face it, people say, oh, you know, art can be investment. If I've got a £500 artwork and it it increases in value 10 times to £5,000, I still wouldn't sell it unless I was really hard up financially and I had to sell it. Exactly. So I would still keep it. So I don't feel like, unless it multiply what ten thousand times it's it's just but
0: for some people it's just good to know oh this now can be sold for the the three times what i pay for it or whatever
1: for Um, me i always feel like it's more like i'm buying it to support the artist's career because i feel like
0: support a living artist that's a very good thing
1: i know they say you know they say the the phrase that you just mentioned which was Buy from the living artists because exactly. the dead ones don't need the money. Exactly. I would also say buy from the ones who aren't established. Because, like, I mean, don't get me wrong, I really love like Anthony Gormley's work or Anish Kapoor's work. But they don't need the money, no. right? they're doing fine, right? I think it's feel like if you discover an artist who's not.
0: And also, ready, so, it's very assurance for an artist to sell a piece especially someone that appreciates art. So it's, yeah. it's, it's a beautiful thing to do, not just not just for the, not just because they need the money, but also for the moral side yeah. of
1: it. I mean, one lovely thing that's come out, obviously many horrible things have come out because of the COVID-19 coronavirus <laughs> outbreak. But one nice thing that has emerged is um, there's a hashtag called artist support, support pledge, yeah. which you know about. Yeah. And this idea of just selling art online and artists can sell and all the works must be under 200 pounds so a few,
0: few friends of mine have already sold
1: some well i've already pieces. bought i've already bought oh hold on i think i've bought three works from oh, it wow. already wow. um i'm pro- pretty sure by the time this quarantine is over i'll be a lot less liquid in terms of my finances because well, uh, also happier <laughs> happier yes i have to find a place to fit the work though. You will.
0: <laughs> what are your five top five best memories related with art?
1: That's a hard question. I'm trying to think of my five (laughs) I mean, one of the the things is that I talked about earlier, which was the fact that because of, I started out seeing artwork, visiting galleries because I saw underground posters Mm -hmm. to see my own stars on those underground posters, which happens more and more these days, which is lovely is a lovely thing every time i see one it like lifts up my day because it's like it's finally come round. so that memory is wonderful i've also got brilliant The first mem- time you saw one yeah the first time i saw one I do think you have the I, photo I, I i'll check about the photo but the, definitely the first one was big bang data at somerset house it was an exhibition that was the first time i saw it i love the
0: somerset house
1: yeah it's a beautiful building and it has some great exhibitions uh i'm trying to think of the other ones the other ones i love are sort of stories relating to my artwork. So there's, there's an artwork in my flat uh, by an artist called Fran Gifford, who she draws birds, but she draws them on her actual diary pages. Now, I've gone to see her and her artist husband at their home, um, David, and so I actually appear in her diary entries. So there's one of her diary entries where she drew a bird on and it said, Tab is coming for tea, buy biscuits. Um, So, I bought that work and it's now wow. hanging in my flat. I
0: love it! <laughs> yeah. It's great.
1: And there's also other stories linked to work. So, I was trying to think of other ones. One is where an artist who had a work that was slightly damaged. So, she asked me, like, she's doing studio clear out. She's like, You always like that work? Do you want it? And I was like, Oh, I'd love it. And she brought it to my flat. Um, and she traveled from East London to me in Southwest London on the Underground. It's not an easy journey. And the work is on board and it's about this big and she is not much bigger than the work. She's very small <laughs> and she's brought it all that the way. strong. To, she brought it all the way to the station and then I met her at the station. And I carried it from there to my flat, which is about a seven minute walk. Was and it my, my my wasn't hurting. My arms were hurting. <laughs> so I was surprised that she made it all the way across. That was amazing. Wow. I was trying to think of other stories that, um, yeah, I've, I've had some bizarre moments in the art world as well that I'm I...
0: sure a lot of synchronicities a lot of beautiful
1: yeah. co-
0: coincidence that because that always happened
1: I mean one that was lovely was I was at Roy's art fair which is another like the other art fairs another art fair for artists representing themselves and I was talking to an artist whose work I was interested in buying and it just so happened that this woman who was standing next to me was just joined our conversation I didn't know her at all like she wasn't the artist um, as far as I could tell, she was an art enthusiast, a visit, visitor to the fair. Um, so we all got talking and I asked her, like, oh, you know, how did she find out about the fair? Does she know any of the artists or is she an artist herself? She's like, no, 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 I'm just interested in art. Um, I found out about the fair because I read about it on Londonist <laughs> and she didn't know who I was. And that was a lovely feeling to be, oh, that was me. That was
0: me. <laughs> I wrote that. It, it can only have been me.
1: Yeah. So that was a, that was a lovely gesture. And the other day, I ran into a neighbour in my flat, and she actually recognised me as the person who writes for Londonist. I was like, Oh, okay. I would recognise you. <laughs> you oh,
0: definitely. Well, that's great. That's mm. beautiful. You, I think you 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 had more than five, and you probably have more many more. I probably
1: have many more, but those are all wonderful. Yeah.
0: And uh, your favourite museum or gallery in London?
1: I think that's like asking me to pick a favorite child. You You have to.
0: (laughs) We all have a favorite one. I can tell you my favorite one.
1: Yeah, well, no, I think I would say that it's also related to memories as well. So, like, for example, I know it's closed down currently, but there's a gallery called Curious Duke. And I remember it because I remember it opening and I remember meeting the owner then when it opened. So I kind of knew the gallery for all of its lifespan, as it were, because I watched it from there. And I bought several works from the gallery, too. So I think there is that sort of memory attached to it. And I feel like, don't get me wrong, though, the bigger galleries are wonderful, the more established Mayfair galleries. But what I quite like about the smaller galleries it tends to be that when I visit, it's often the owner who's there because mm-hmm. they don't have staff. They run the gallery themselves. Yeah,
0: there, there's a kind of ethic a commitment that mm. is really old-fashioned and beautiful. I think yeah. so.
1: When you're like when you're talking to the person behind the desk and they're the owner of the gallery, it just feels like a more natural conversation than someone yeah. who's they been paid know. to be they, there. They
0: know. They know everything about whatever they exactly. have there. They know it, and that's beautiful. I I think my favorite. Nobody's asking, but I I'm gonna say. it. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. <clears throat> My favorite is the Victorian Albert.
1: Oh, it's a beautiful museum.
0: I adore the fact that it, it feels like you are in the attic of a crazy, <laughs> very wealthy person. Like, yeah. you know, it's everything's there, like from clothes to... Coins. It's really bizarre. I love it. The other and thing the I say it's like, is beautiful. It's a
1: beautiful building, and it's also very full of tourists. But weirdly enough, if you find the right place, it's empty. Yes, and there are there are hidden rooms, and if you're there, there's and no most one.
0: of those rooms are for free because the the yeah, big exhibitions course. are the ones that people go to see. But all those rooms that are for free are wonderful. You can spend their days.
1: I love the um, European Cast Court, which is the room which has replicas. Of famous European masterpieces. So it's got Michelangelo's David, a replica. it replicas. The, yeah, see, it's got it, Raphael's it, it, School of wonderful. Athens. It's got the gates of the Florence Baptistry that are known as the gates of paradise because they were gold. It's got wonderful <laughs> things. And it's just, and a lot of people don't even know it exists because it's off this, like, to get in, you take a little side route in. So it's wonderful. Yeah.
0: Any recommendation to make art more appealing for young generations? to so we can avoid the fact that then the new generations will have to wait as much as you did <laughs> to discover the beauty yeah. of art
1: i don't know it's an interesting one so one thing i've noticed is people often complain and about people taking too many photos and exhibitions mm-hmm. you know and there, a lot of museums have banned selfie sticks for obvious reasons um photos but the thing is I have an issue with someone who just takes photos and doesn't actually appreciate the artwork mm. but if you are appreciating and take photos I think you know that multiplies that the is effect. the new yeah. way of appreciating art that's how you appreciate it you look at it you enjoy it and you want to share it mm-hmm. and it's quite refreshing now that sometimes as long as the loan agreements allow them there are lots of museums who are now saying take any photos as well, here's the hashtag, share them, please share them. They
0: they have to go with the flow Hmm. and maybe most of those kids are also doing videos or live stories or whatever and that's always an invitation to multiply the effect. I think so, I think,
1: but I think there is also going to be a difficulty of that it's still I mean, if you look at the numbers, it still very much is a class divide in terms of people who visit museums. Mm-hmm. Like I there's know. very few working class people. A uh,
0: male-dominated. Male, um, well,
1: yeah, in terms of the audience, I think the audience is quite mixed in terms of gender. I think it's very the audience. Yes. I think it's still very white. I think if you look at the numbers in very, Asian and very black white. population,
0: every time I, I know this is polemic. I normally don't bring this subject to any conversation. But every time I go to a museum, and I did it with my children all the time, I always said, look around, and see if you see anyone that is not white, middle class. And you tell me, please. Or
1: they're a tourist, you know. The tourists are there, generally. And
0: still, the tourists are white and
1: middle (laughs) class. But it it always makes me laugh that you would go to a exhibition opening just off Brick Lane. So Brick Lane is like the heart of London's Bangladeshi community. And you go to an opening night, And everyone's white and you're like but you're in a very diverse area i love
0: that you brought that this (laughs) subject because i think it's something important to tackle
1: yeah and and, you know obviously people are trying but it's hard i mean it's wonderful when it does happen because i remember the british museum recently opened their refurbished islamic galleries um now i didn't make the press for you because i was busy um so i went on the opening weekend and the opening weekend every so many people in there were of Muslim origin from different ethnicities, and it was wonderful to see that. Same with um, Soul of a Nation, which was an exhibition at Tate Modern about Black power in art. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I went to the exhibition. I was like, Oh my god, there's so oh, many, great. it's so diverse, and this yeah, is brilliant.
0: Yeah, it should be more like that. Mm. Well, thank you so much. Mm. I'm not gonna be able. I think this is the only interview till now that I'm not gonna kiss and hug my. Guest. That's okay. <laughs> But the love is still the same. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank uh, you so much. Thank you. Thank, thank
1: you. you. Bye bye.
0: Bye bye. <laughs>